Section 9 of The Works of Edgar Allan Poe, Raven Edition, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Diddling, Considered as One of the Exact Sciences, by Edgar Allan Poe. Hey, diddle, diddle, the cat and the fiddle. Since the world began, there have been two Jeremies. The one wrote a Jeremiad about usury, and was called Jeremy Bentham. He has been much admired by Mr. John Neal, and was a great man in a small way. The other gave name to the most important of the exact sciences, and was a great man in a great way. I may say, indeed, in the very greatest of ways. Diddling, or the abstract idea, conveyed by the verb to diddle, is sufficiently well understood. Yet the fact, the deed, the thing diddling, is somewhat difficult to define. We may get, however, at a tolerably distinct conception of the matter at hand by defining not the thing, diddling in itself, but man, as an animal that diddles. Had Plato but hit upon this, he would have been spared the affront of the picked chicken. Very pertinently it was demanded of Plato why a picked chicken, which was clearly a biped without feathers, was not, according to his own definition, a man but i am not to be bothered by any similar query man is an animal that diddles and there is no animal that diddles but man it will take an entire hen-coop of picked chickens to get over that what constitutes the essence the nair the principle of diddling is in fact peculiar to the class of creatures that wear coats and pantaloons a crow thieves a fox cheats, a weasel outwits, a man diddles. To diddle is his destiny. Man was made to mourn, says the poet, but not so. He was made to diddle. This is his aim, his object, his end. And for this reason, when a man's diddled, we say he's done. Diddling, rightly considered, is a compound of which the ingredients are minuteness, interest, perseverance, ingenuity, audacity, nonchalance, originality, impertinence, and grin. Minuteness. Your diddler is minute. His operations are upon a small scale. His business is retail for cash or proved paper at sight. Should he ever be tempted into magnificent speculation, he then at once loses his distinctive features and becomes what we term financier. This latter word conveys the diddling idea in every respect except that of magnitude. A diddler may thus be regarded as a banker in petto, a financial operation as a diddle at Brobdingnag. 
the one is to the other as homer to flaccus as a mastodon to a mouse as the tail of a comet to that of a pig interest here diddler is guided by self-interest he scorns to diddle for the mere sake of the diddle he has an object in view his pocket and yours he regards always the main chance he looks to number one you are number two and must look to yourself perseverance your diddler perseveres he is not readily discouraged should even the banks break he cares nothing about it he steadily pursues his end and ut canis acorio nunquam absterabitur uncto so he never lets go of his game ingenuity your diddler is ingenious he has constructiveness large he understands plot he invents and circumvents were he not alexander he would be diogenes were he not a diddler he would be a maker of patent rat-traps or an angler for trout audacity your diddler is audacious he is a bold man he carries the war into africa he conquers all by assault he would not fear the daggers of fray heron with a little more prudence dick turpin would have made a good diddler with a trifle less blarney daniel o'connell with a pound or two more brains charles the twelfth nonchalance your diddler is nonchalant he is not at all nervous he never had any nerves he is never seduced into a flurry he is never put out unless put out of doors he is cool cool as a cucumber he is calm calm as a smile from lady bury he is easy easy as an old glove or the damsels of ancient bae originality your diddler is original conscientiously so his thoughts are his own he would scorn to employ those of another a stale trick is his aversion he would return a purse i am sure upon discovering that he had obtained it by an unoriginal diddle impertinence your diddler is impertinent he swaggers he sets his arms akimbo he thrusts his hands in his trousers pockets he sneers in your face he treads on your corns he eats your dinner he drinks your wine he borrows your money he pulls your nose he kicks your poodle and he kisses your wife grin your true diddler winds up all with a grin but this nobody sees but himself he grins when his daily work is done when his allotted labors are accomplished at night in his own closet and altogether for his own private entertainment he goes home he locks his door he divests himself of his clothes he puts out his candle he gets into bed he places his head upon the pillow all this done and your diddler grins this is no hypothesis it is a matter of course 
I reason a priori, and a diddle would be no diddle without a grin. The origin of the diddle is referable to the infancy of the human race. Perhaps the first diddler was Adam. At all events, we can trace the science back to a very remote period of antiquity. The moderns, however, have brought it to a perfection never dreamed of by our thick-headed progenitors. Without pausing to speak of the old saws, therefore, I shall content myself with a compendious account of some of the more modern instances. A very good diddle is this. A housekeeper, in want of a sofa, for instance, is seen to go in and out of several cabinet warehouses. At length she arrives at one, offering an excellent variety. She is accosted and invited to enter by a polite and voluble individual at the door. She finds a sofa well adapted to her views, and upon inquiring the price, is surprised and delighted to hear a sum named at least twenty percent lower than her expectations. She hastens to make the purchase, gets a bill and receipt, leaves her address with a request that the article be sent home as speedily as possible, and retires amid a profusion of bows from the shopkeeper. The night arrives, and no sofa. A servant is sent to make inquiry about the delay. The whole transaction is denied. No sofa has been sold, no money received, except by the diddler who played shopkeeper for the nonce. Our cabinet warehouses are left entirely unattended, and thus afford every facility for a trick of this kind. Visitors enter, look at furniture, and depart unheeded and unseen. Should anyone wish to purchase, or to inquire the price of an article, a bell is at hand, and this is considered amply sufficient. Again, quite a respectable diddle is this. A well-dressed individual enters a shop, makes a purchase to the value of a dollar, finds much to his vexation that he has left his pocketbook in another coat pocket, and so says to the shopkeeper, My dear sir, never mind, just oblige me, will you, by sending the bundle home. But stay, I really believe that I have nothing less than a five-dollar bill, even there. However, you can send four dollars in change with the bundle, you know. Very good, sir, replies the shopkeeper, who entertains at once a lofty opinion of the high-mindedness of his customer. I know fellows, he says to himself, who would just have put the goods under their arm and walked off with a promise to call and pay the dollar as they came by in the afternoon. A boy is sent with the parcel and change. On the route, quite accidentally, he is met by the purchaser who exclaims, ah this is my bundle i see i thought you had been home with it long ago well go on my wife mrs trotter will give you the five dollars i left instructions with her to that effect the change you might as well give to me i shall want some silver for the post office very good one two is this a good quarter three four quite right say to mrs trotter that you met me and be sure now and do not loiter on the way the boy doesn't loiter at all, but he is a very long time in getting back from his errand, for no lady of the precise name of Mrs. Trotter is to be discovered. 
he consoles himself however that he has not been such a fool as to leave the goods without the money and re-entering his shop with a self-satisfied air feels sensibly hurt and indignant when his master asks him what has become of the change a very simple diddle indeed is this the captain of a ship which is about to sail is presented by an official-looking person with an unusually moderate bill of city charges glad to get off so easily and confused by a hundred duties pressing upon him all at once he discharges the claim forthwith in about fifteen minutes another and less reasonable bill is handed him by one who soon makes it evident that the first collector was a diddler and the original collection a diddle and here too is a somewhat similar thing a steamboat is casting loose from the wharf a traveller portmanteau in hand is discovered running toward the wharf at full speed suddenly he makes a dead halt stoops and picks up something from the ground in a very agitated manner it is a pocket-book and has any gentleman lost a pocket-book he cries no one can say that he has exactly lost a pocket-book but a great excitement ensues when the treasure-trove is found to be of value the boat however must not be detained time and tide wait for no man says the captain for god's sake stay only a few minutes says the finder of the book the true claimant will presently appear can't wait replies the man in authority cast off there do you hear what am i to do asks the finder in great tribulation i am about to leave the country for some years and i cannot conscientiously retain this large amount in my possession i beg your pardon sir here he addresses a gentleman on shore but you have the air of an honest man will you confer upon me the favor of taking charge of this pocket-book i know i can trust you and of advertising it the notes you see amount to a very considerable sum the owner will no doubt insist upon rewarding you for your trouble me no you it was you who found the book well if you must have it so i will take a small reward just to satisfy your scruples let me see why these notes are all hundreds bless my soul a hundred is too much to take fifty would be quite enough i am sure cast off there says the captain but then i have no change for a hundred and upon the whole you had better cast off there says the captain never mind cries the gentleman on shore who has been examining his own pocket-book for the last minute or so never mind i can fix it here is a fifty on the bank of north america throw the book and the over-conscientious finder takes the fifty with marked reluctance and throws the gentleman the book as desired while the steamboat fumes and fizzes on her way in about half an hour after her departure the large amount is seen to be a counterfeit presentment and the whole thing a capital diddle a bold diddle is this a camp meeting or something similar is to be held at a certain spot which is accessible only by means of a free bridge a diddler stations himself upon this bridge respectfully informs all passers-by of the new county law which establishes a toll of one cent for foot passengers two for horses and donkeys and so forth and so forth some grumble but all submit and the diddler goes home a wealthier man by some fifty or sixty dollars well earned 
this taking a toll from a great crowd of people is an excessively troublesome thing a neat diddle is this a friend holds one of the diddler's promises to pay filled up and signed in due form upon the ordinary blanks printed in red ink the diddler purchases one or two dozen of these blanks and every day dips one of them in his soup makes his dog jump for it and finally gives it to him as a bon bouche the note arriving at maturity the diddler with the diddler's dog calls upon the friend and the promise to pay is made the topic of discussion the friend produces it from his escritoire and is in the act of reaching it to the diddler when up jumps the diddler's dog and devours it forthwith the diddler is not only surprised but vexed and incensed at the absurd behavior of his dog and expresses his entire readiness to cancel the obligation at any moment when the evidence of the obligation shall be forthcoming a very mean diddle is this a lady is insulted in the street by a diddler's accomplice the diddler himself flies to her assistance and giving his friend a comfortable thrashing insists upon attending the lady to her own door he bows with his hand upon his heart and most respectfully bids her adieu she entreats him as her deliverer to walk in and be introduced to her big brother and her papa with a sigh he declines to do so is there no way then sir she murmurs in which i may be permitted to testify my gratitude why yes madam there is will you be kind enough to lend me a couple of shillings in the first excitement of the moment the lady decides upon fainting outright upon second thought however she opens her purse strings and delivers the specie now this i say is a diddle minute for one entire moiety of the sum borrowed has to be paid to the gentleman who had the trouble of performing the insult and who had then to stand still and be thrashed for performing it rather a small but still a scientific diddle is this the diddler approaches the bar of a tavern and demands a couple of twists of tobacco these are handed to him when having slightly examined them he says i don't much like this tobacco here take it back and give me a glass of brandy and water in its place the brandy and water is furnished and imbibed and the diddler makes his way to the door but the voice of the tavern-keeper arrests him i believe sir you have forgotten to pay for your brandy and water pay for my brandy and water didn't i give you the tobacco for the brandy and water what more would you have but sir if you please i don't remember that you paid me for the tobacco what do you mean by that you scoundrel didn't i give you back your tobacco isn't that your tobacco lying there do you expect me to pay for what i did not take but sir says the publican now rather at a loss what to say but sir let me know but sir interrupts the diddler apparently in very high dudgeon and slamming the door after him as he makes his escape let me know but sir and none of your tricks upon travellers here again is a very clever diddle of which the simplicity is not its least recommendation a purse or pocket-book being really lost the loser inserts in one of the daily papers of a large city a fully descriptive advertisement whereupon our diddler copies the facts of this advertisement with a change of heading of general phraseology and address 
the original for instance is long and verbose it is headed a pocket-book lost and requires the treasure when found to be left at number one tom street a copy is brief and being headed with lost only indicates number two dick or number three harry street as the locality at which the owner may be seen moreover it is inserted in at least five or six of the daily papers of the day while in point of time it makes its appearance only a few hours after the original should it be read by the loser of the purse he would hardly suspect it to have any reference to his own misfortune but of course the chances are five or six to one that the finder will repair to the address given by the diddler rather than to that pointed out by the rightful proprietor the former pays the reward pockets the treasure and decamps quite an analogous diddle is this a lady of ton has dropped somewhere in the street a diamond ring of very unusual value for its recovery she offers some forty or fifty dollars reward giving in her advertisement a very minute description of the gem and of its settings and declaring that on its restoration at number so-and-so in such-and-such -such avenue the reward would be paid instanter without a single question being asked during the lady's absence from home a day or two afterwards a ring is heard at the door of number so-and-so in such-and-such -such avenue a servant appears the lady of the house is asked for and is declared to be out at which astounding information the visitor expresses the most poignant regret his business is of importance and concerns the lady herself in fact he had the good fortune to find her diamond ring but perhaps it would be as well that he should call again by no means says the servant and by no means says the lady's sister and the lady's sister-in-law who are summoned forthwith the ring is clamorously identified the reward is paid and the finder nearly thrust out of doors the lady returns and expresses some little dissatisfaction with her sister and sister-in-law because they happen to have paid forty or fifty dollars for a facsimile of her diamond ring a facsimile made out of real pinchbeck and unquestionable paste but there is really no end to diddling so there would be none to this essay were i even to hint at half the variations or inflections of which this science is susceptible i must bring this paper perforce to a conclusion and this i cannot do better than by a summary notice of a very decent but rather elaborate diddle of which our own city was made the theatre not very long ago and which was subsequently repeated with success in other still more verdant localities of the union a middle-aged gentleman arrives in town from parts unknown he is remarkably precise cautious staid and deliberate in his demeanour his dress is scrupulously neat but plain unostentatious he wears a white cravat an ample waistcoat made with an eye to comfort alone thick-soled cosy-looking shoes and pantaloons without straps he has the whole air in fact of your well-to-do sober-sided exact and respectable man of business 
par excellence. One of the stern and outwardly hard, internally soft sort of people that we see in the crack high comedies. Fellows whose words are so many bonds and who are noted for giving away guineas in charity with the one hand while in the way of mere bargain they exact the uttermost fraction of a farthing with the other. He makes much ado before he can get suited with a boarding-house. He dislikes children. He has been accustomed to quiet. His habits are methodical, and then he would prefer getting into a private and respectable small family, piously inclined. Terms, however, are no object. Only he must insist upon settling his bill on the first of every month, it is now the second, and begs his landlady, when he finally obtains one to his mind, not on any account to forget his instructions upon this point, but to send in a bill and receipt precisely at ten o'clock on the first day of every month, and under no circumstances to put it off to the second. These arrangements made, our man of business rents an office in a reputable rather than a fashionable quarter of the town. There is nothing he more despises than pretense. Where there is much show, he says, there is seldom anything very solid behind an observation which so profoundly impresses his landlady's fancy that she makes a pencil memorandum of it forthwith in her great family bible on the broad margin of the proverbs of solomon the next step is to advertise after some such fashion as this in the principal business six pennies of the city the pennies are issued as not respectable and as demanding payment for all advertisements in advance. Our man of business holds it as a point of his faith that work should never be paid for until done. Wanted. The advertisers, being about to commence extensive business operations in this city, will require the services of three or four intelligent and competent clerks, to whom a liberal salary will be paid. The very best recommendations, not so much for capacity, as for integrity will be expected indeed as the duties to be performed involve high responsibilities and large amounts of money must necessarily pass through the hands of those engaged it is deemed advisable to demand a deposit of fifty dollars from each clerk employed no person need apply therefore who is not prepared to leave this sum in the possession of the advertisers and who cannot furnish the most satisfactory testimonials of morality. Young gentlemen, piously inclined, will be preferred. Application should be made between the hours of 10 and 11 a.m. and 4 and 5 p.m. of Messrs. Boggs, Hogs, Logs, Frogs, and Company, number 110, Dog Street. By the 31st day of the month, this advertisement has brought to the office of Messrs. Boggs, Hogs, Logs, Frogs, and Company some fifteen or twenty young gentlemen piously inclined. But our man of business is in no hurry to conclude a contract with any. No man of business is ever precipitate. And it is not until the most rigid catechism in respect to the piety of each young gentleman's inclination that his services are engaged and his fifty dollars receipted for. 
just by way of proper precaution on the part of the respectable firm of boggs hogs logs frogs and company on the morning of the first day of the next month the landlady does not present her bill according to promise a piece of neglect for which the comfortable head of the house ending in augs would no doubt have chided her severely could he have been prevailed upon to remain in town a day or two for that purpose as it is the constables have had a sad time of it running hither and thither and all they can do is to declare the man of business most emphatically a hen knee high by which some persons imagine them to imply that in fact he is n e i by which again the very classical phrase non est inventus is supposed to be understood in the meantime the young gentlemen one and all are somewhat less piously inclined than before while the landlady purchases a shilling's worth of the indian rubber and very carefully obliterates the pencil memorandum that some fool has made in her great family bible on the broad margin of the proverbs of solomon end of section nine Recording by Bill Mosley, Lano County, Texas, USA.